Hey, uh, welcome to Dirty Pink Okami. This is the pilot episode slash first episode. Um, I want to do an intro that's just a little bit about me. Uh, my name is Samantha Gevjian-Clark. I'll be the host. I am a writer, poet, leftist, activist, and comedian, and I've been working for the Unpopular Opinion Podcast Network for the last couple of years as a writer, website editor, and social media manager. I've got a second book of poetry about to be published with Wider Perspectives Publishing, and I'm generally okay at Twitter, where you can follow me at Comic Wisdom. I'm not very good at summarizing myself, so I'm sure you'll just learn more about me over the course of the podcast, which uh, now if you want to know anything about me, you're going to have to keep listening to. For the title of the show, it's called Dirty Pinko Kami, because that's what my stepdad called communists when I was a kid, and actually just Russians in general, kind of like the hashtag the resistance people who put hammers and sickles uh, behind memes of Putin using Trump as a hand puppet, because, you know, Putin's a communist, that's the real problem with America. So, anyway, I never stopped thinking Dirty Pinko Kami is pretty hilarious. Kind of like every other insult thrown at the left, and also it's 2018 and self-deprecating humor is in fashion. Speaking of which, humor is essential to this podcast, because the world sucks, and politics means delving regularly into the very worst of it all the time with no end in sight, and all we can do as everything grows steadily darker and more horrifying is giggle about it once in a while. The goal for the podcast is going to be to have a guest or multiple guests on for each episode to talk about whatever the topic of choice is. They're meant to come from as broad a range of backgrounds and left perspectives as I have access to in my list of contacts. Uh, the show isn't meant to be aligned with a particular left tendency, partly because I myself straddle a handful of them, and partly because left infighting is a goddamn useless nightmare and I don't want any part of it ever. Uh, if you want to be on the show, or you have any suggestions or constructive criticism, or you just want to shower me with all of the praise and compliments that I so greatly deserve, you can uh, direct message me on Twitter, at Comic Wisdom, for now. Hopefully I'll have an email address and Patreon for the show going by the time the next episode airs. So, with that, we're going to get started. I'm going to introduce you to my guests. I am lucky enough to have three of them today. I'll just go around and introduce each of you, and uh, maybe you can tell me a little bit about yourself, or even if it's just like, hi, I am me and this is my name. Uh, first, we have Becca Edwards. Hi, my name is Becca Edwards, she, her. Um, uh, I don't know what to say, Sam, I'm sorry. You're as uh, bad at interest as me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I should have had something more prepared. Um, been part of DSA uh, Orange County originally and then moved up to Portland recently, so joined the Portland DSA and just been involved there with um, different uh, communities and organizing uh, ranging from Medicare for All to anti-fascist actions to uh, socialist feminist uh, organizing and and so forth. So that's a little bit about me, I think, in terms of the left. Uh, next we have uh, James Bergthold. Hi, my name is James. Uh, I'm part of the DSA and the Libertarian Socialist Caucus. I'm still developing and learning a lot. So, What's your favorite my... flavor of ice cream? Hmm. Tillamook mudslide. Tillamook mudslide. True, true Oregonian spirit. <laughs> That's a good one. We also have uh, two cats who you might hear, and uh, sorry, not sorry. Um, and then we also have <laughs> Doug Edwards, our final guest. Hey, I'm Doug. I'm here to keep things level-headed and sane. Um, Thank and, you. Yeah, former fundamentalist uh, and took a long road to leftism and communism, which is where we're at now, and happy to talk about it today. Cool. Thanks, guys. So we're going to get started. Um, 
the first thing I want to talk about is um, all four of us were raised, raised religious, some form of Christian. Um, uh, we all come from different backgrounds. Um, but we've all since departed from those beliefs. Um, most of us before becoming leftists, but some of us uh, continued to be Christian into being leftists. Um, so we want to talk about the beliefs and practices we still hold, if any, um, and how they're compatible with our political viewpoints. So maybe, Doug, do you want to start us off? Sure, I can do that. For me, it was growing up in a uh, homeschooled in a fundamental fundamentalist evangelical church, uh, big on creationism, fighting the culture war, standing up against the world, uh, believe that uh, the apocalypse of Revelation is imminent. The Antichrist was probably Obama, definitely a liberal of definitely some Definitely Obama. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely yeah. Obama. So that was a fun thing, and uh, I didn't start to leave that till after I graduated college and started uh, talking to people online and reading different perspectives and life stories of people who were gay, people who were trans, uh, talking to other Christians who believed in outlandish things like evolution. Um, <laughs> and that started me on a, a long road of reevaluating my beliefs and eventually becoming an atheist. And it was only after that process that I was able to reevaluate my political beliefs, which I'd taken for granted that Republicans were the ones who cared about individuals, uh, family, life, community, bettering yourself, responsibility. I mean, all uh, that stuff is true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the family and, values party. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, having to reevaluate all that, I took that stupid, stupid uh, political compass test, and it put me in the very <laughs> bottom left corner. And then I, it caused me to Google, "What is anarchism?" Because I knew communism was basically Stalin, and that was bad. And anarchism <laughs> was like no rules, just chaos. And so I had to do some research, and then. You kind of liked rules before then. You weren't sure. If yeah, you yeah. Them, no I'm, I'm rules. A naturally, <laughs> I just like my my uh, stable environment. Mm-hmm. But, and then Becca got into Bernie in a big way. That's my story. Yeah, that is your story. But that that pushed me along. I'm like, Whoa, that's true. What is Bernie? Oh, uh-huh. he says he's a socialist. What is a socialist really? And mm-hmm. uh, so that was kind of my my journey, I guess, to the left. Um, again, not. Not coming until after I'd left my Christianity beliefs behind, but in many ways, I still held similar ideals. Like, Christianity taught me to be compassionate to every person, to care about everyone, to not value one person over another, that all people have inherent worth. Um, And in a lot of ways, those beliefs are what drove me to the left. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you can't really look at one person being a multi-billionaire and other people starving and homeless and think, like... If everyone has, you know, equal worth and dignity, that this is an acceptable situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you, Doug. Becca, maybe, uh, especially since Doug brought you up, maybe <laughs> maybe you can talk a little bit about your shift. And then um, I know, like, you particularly, you still held on to a lot of your religious beliefs after becoming a leftist. And I don't know how much of those beliefs you still hold, but if there are any, like, how do they currently fit with your political beliefs as well? Sure. So... Um, like Doug, I grew up in a very fundamentalist, uh, evangelical, conservative Christian household where conservatism and Christianity were the same thing. Um, if you weren't conservative, you weren't really Christian. And being a very religious child um, and trying to be as devoted and, and faithful and good as I could have been, uh, then I wouldn't even question that anything else other than republicanism could be Christian. Um, I really 
changed um, to my political leftism um, kind of by finding a way to divorce the two, uh, not have them so bound together. I actually, <laughs> this is going to sound really funny, but I, I went more traditional and I uh, became Orthodox. I actually investigated orthodox Orthodoxy and became Eastern Orthodox. And by becoming Eastern Orthodox, which is, you know, even more um, traditional, I think, than and, and more strict in a lot of ways than evangelicalism, I was able to say, well, actually, the faith that I have is not married to the political beliefs that I have, right? It's not, an or, or, most Orthodox denominate, or, uh, parishes in the American uh, church or in America and different churches there aren't Republican specifically. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not going to preach whatever they feel like at the pulpit. It's very strict on like whatever's that calendar day, whatever's being spoken about, whatever has already been thought of and is going to be uh, reviewed in terms of the scripture as of the last couple hundred, couple thousand years. So it's not like changing a lot. So it's not for the moment. Uh, I'm thinking about abortion today. I'm thinking about gay marriage today. I'm going to talk about that. Um, everything's much more centered around whatever that specific passage is that you read again the next year on the same day. It's older and less tied to like current American pol- American politics, totally. right? Okay. Totally. And I mean, there's so many other differences between, like, it's not connected to Protestantism too, mm-hmm. which has a huge help I think in that regard. It's already old. I mean, they and the Catholics have a lot of differences. Yeah, it's old, you know, 1054 thing. So it's that's not even recent. So when I was able to do that, I was able to say, okay, look. Uh, I can actually not be Republican because I've already had issues with Republicanism since I was in high school, really. Um, I've always felt like Republicans had a lot of hypocrisy with what they were saying, especially if they were being Christian and saying, love one another, and on the other side saying, well, those people deserve to be beat up and like hurt and harassed and whatever. Mm-hmm. They're not doing the right thing. Um, so I, I always kind of saw that hypocrisy in it and was kind of able to get to a point where I was not a Democrat ever, really, mm-hmm. but I was definitely not a Republican. That was, like, my difference. So the 2016 election came, and, like, 2015, I was browsing Reddit, saw the Bernie Sanders AMA, actually read it all, and I was like, this sounds pretty good. So I took the, like, political compass, who should you vote for type <laughs> of quiz. It's like, which of these candidates that, out of the, you know, 30 that were running? Mm-hmm fits your beliefs best and like I think I got 95% 93% Sanders and like maybe 90, 90% Hillary or something but um, that to me was like oh Bernie Sanders and I we have the same beliefs so I didn't do any of the like canvassing for him um, that I probably should have at the time but I did like start working on things that I thought were helpful to the campaign in general and that kind of got me to say well okay I'm for democratic socialism like whatever that is now I gotta learn what it is um, I actually worked on a site called fillthebrain.org, which is like uh, just basically a resource for, hey, if you want to learn who Bernie Sanders is and what issues he stands for, what he's done over time, here you go. That worked out really well because I was able to be part of the research team to write up, here's what he thought about Nicaragua and Venezuela, and here's what he thought about gun rights, and here's what he thought about the environment over the past 30 years, um, which really gave me kind of a handle on what he was about, what I agreed with. Um, where we differed, and then things just progressed basically till the end of the 2016 election, where I was therefore like, gotta get involved somehow. <laughs> Bernie Sanders Democratic Socialism, Democratic Socialism of America, seems like a match made in heaven. So I kind of joined at that point because I saw them growing, and just really started trying to figure out ways to get involved with that. 
Okay. Um, and then James, you and I have a pretty similar background. Fun backstory. Yeah. James and I have known each other since we were little kids, grew up in the same church. Do you want to start off, or do you want me to talk about that? Um, I can start. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, grew up uh, in a series of churches that was, you know, marked by church splits, and then large groups leaving, and then groups getting kicked out, and then that group splitting, and somewhere along there I ended up in a home church for a while, but uh, hardcore, hyper-conservative, like, German slash Southern Baptist isolationist church uh, sums it up about as well as I can. Then got uh, uh, religiously radicalized going to a uh, Christian evangelical university where I learned that, you know, maybe if you don't agree with me 100% on everything, you can still be a decent person. And uh, after that corrupting influence... (laughs) Uh, had a lot of uh, theological fights with my uh, my parents, who were also, I guess, my pastors at that point. And uh, <laughs> that's a hard, that's a hard. Yeah, <laughs> and then eventually, yeah, ended up uh, running away to join the navy to get out of the house because that was uh, liberating and freeing at the time. <laughs> like republicanism was, it wasn't really discussed so much. It's just like assumed. Most of my growing up was, like, obviously, like, you're a Christian, you're a conservative. And then uh, throughout my time in the Navy, I kind of got pushed further and further right, uh, which is a shocker, I'm sure. Yeah, that's, um, that's extreme. Yeah. And uh, ended up towards the end of my time in the Navy as a uh, pretty far-right libertarian, like, almost, like, all white, like, Mostly apolitical, but if I did have a political opinion, it was shit sort of thing. <laughs> we <And> know here. <laughs> we actively know. But and for the audience, though. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us again. Shit or... <laughs> really shit. I got absolute shit, like... Like what? Everything from, like, you know, like, poor people should just work harder. Because, like, obviously, like, you know... I didn't get anything from my parents. I just joined the Navy, and now I'm dirt poor, but I'm over here, and, you know, <laughs> the government pays for my roof, but I have a roof, so, like, you should work harder and not rely on the government. <laughs> um, That's nice logic and facts. That's yeah, the right-wing oh, idea. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. They don't care about your feelings. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, stuff like that. Uh, super big for guns, which hasn't really changed much as an anarchist now, but uh, <laughs> anti-welfare, small government, except for my paycheck, and stuff like that. <laughs> and then uh, right at the end of my contract, through actually uh, Doug and Becca and Sam, through several years of pressure, <laughs> uh, finally started to realize, like, uh, you know, maybe everything I think about politics is wrong, and you know, a lot of different things, ranging from the election to uh, just news and being confronted repeatedly with political debate. Don't forget being told that you can be a oh, leftist and still hate liberals and keep your guns. Yeah, that was a That's large a, part of that. <laughs> still hate the government, Thanks, still Doc. hate liberals, still love guns. Pro tip, just, this is how you radicalize the libertarians. Yeah. <laughs> you can also have weed. Yeah, also weed. And weed, yeah. So, yeah. Thank you. Uh, so then at that point, I was 
and still am doing a lot of research and learning because there's never enough time to sit down and learn enough to define things or figure things out. But I became a, at first reluctant and then very enthusiastic member of the Democratic Socialists of America. And then uh, I was a founding member of the Orange County Libertarian Socialist Caucus and then moved to Portland where I was, again, a founding member of the Portland Libertarian Socialist Caucus, which I've never attended the meeting. But, you know, that's besides the <laughs> Cut point. that out. Cut that out. <laughs> um, the trick yeah. is to tell him you're going to edit it and post, and then you don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah, worry, don't worry. That's my, uh, my journey. Well, cool. Thank you. Um, I will talk a little bit about mine. I think I might actually be the only one of us that's still, like, kind of vaguely religious in a way. I don't know, Becca, if you still are. I, I was thinking about this a lot. I, I would I would be partially religious. I don't I don't I have not um, able to put a label on myself in that regard yet. No labels. I like it. Yeah. Well, I kind of want to be organized in that respect. It's kind of <laughs> bogging me, but I but I can't. There's I, I haven't got to the point where I can I can figure out exactly what's going on yet. So okay, let's we can totally we can flesh valid. that out. <laughs> well, I was raised in the same set of weird churches, more or less, as James. There there was quite a bit of overlap. Uh, hardcore fundamentalist uh called themselves baptist definitely baptist influence but like we argued forever whether we were baptist or just non-denominational because we're so such a weird fucking cult they literally taught me that there were like maybe two thousand saved people in the world were actually going to heaven it was pretty fucked yeah yeah duck and becca sinful (laughs) i mean we knew that yeah (laughs) we're already feeling guilty already feeling guilty um But I, yeah, I stopped being religious pretty much right around when I started going to a religious college, which was fun. Um, And around the same time, the first uh, election featuring Barack Obama was happening. I was barely 18. Definitely did not vote for our first black president. I voted Libertarian. I voted for Bob Barr, which nobody's ever heard of, (laughs) which is real cool. Very, very cool. I mean, I voted for McCain. I went oh, to a Sarah Palin rally. Oh. Hey, I voted McCain-Romney. Oh, oh shit. I didn't even In 2012? Yeah, I voted Romney. Oh, thanks, you guys. You're making me feel so much better. Yeah, well, this well, is our job. My parents were watching sure. me fill in my ballot in 2012. Oh, well, no, never mind. That's gross. Okay, well. I mean, I still could have, uh, but. No. Well, I was trying to make the decision between Barack Obama and Bob Barr at that point. Okay. I like couldn't even take McCain seriously because he looked like an actual snake. Like, I just couldn't handle his <laughs> eyes. I thought he looked like a demon, and I didn't even believe in demons anymore. It was very freaky. This made you religious. I mean, I think it, like, was, might have been part of why I, like, actually cared about politics. But, like, McCain, also... McCain looks so evil, it made you care about politics. Yeah. I mean, basically, <laughs> straight up. But also, I mean, part of what was so influential was the school I was going to at the time was George Fox University in Newburgh, Oregon, where... This made national news. Someone lynched an effigy of Barack Obama um, that year on campus. And uh, that, like, that was the moment where I was like, oh, shit, so racism against black people is still alive, which was a huge deal for me because, like, I grew up in mostly, like, the major minority there was uh, Latino, and, like, I thought there was definitely racism against them, but, like, who else? Like, like, racism is dead otherwise, right? And uh, so that, like, opened my mind a little bit, and that got me thinking, and um, over the next, like, long years, I moved more and more left. I never really considered myself a Democrat, but 
probably out of guilt for voting for Bob Barr in 2008, I definitely voted for Barack Obama in 2012. <laughs> and I generally voted Democrat as a sort of lesser evil sort of uh, strategy for years and didn't really start to radicalize until Ferguson uh, in 2014. And that was when that slow process started. But I, over that same period, like, I moved pretty quickly away from religion right after college. Like, I was pretty much just done after that first term. And then um, I started to, like, get more in touch with my Armenian roots and try to, like, uh, fill this kind of place in me that definitely felt like it needed something spiritual. The God-shaped hole? The God-shaped <laughs> hole in my heart, yes. <laughs> that one. I mean, honestly, a little bit legit. Like, I don't think there would have been a God-shaped hole. Maybe. I mean, we could argue all day about whether that's human nature. But, like, definitely being raised religious mm -hmm. left a God-shaped hole because it yeah. had, like, trained my brain with this, like, yep. concept. And uh, I don't believe in gods. I don't, I'm not one of those people that's, like I, like, I don't call myself spiritual, really. I call myself witchy because I think it's funny. You know, I usually say my witchy shit, which is very a very classy way to talk about yourself and your spiritual practices. But I do a lot of, like, I read fortunes um, in Turkish coffee. I, uh, you know, I do tarot and I have this creepy thing like my Nana could do where she like would just like eyeball people even though she was blind and then she would just tell them about themselves the people she'd never met and I can kind of do that and it's kind of awesome <laughs> and I've decided that like <clears throat> you know that I think that's compatible with Marxism as much as like a lot of other Marxists disagree with me but not only like have I personally had my religion ripped away from me because it sucked right and like proved to be so incredibly untrue like I think human beings have had their spirituality and their spiritual practices ripped from them. Um, something I saw outlined pretty well in Caliban and the Witch by Sylvia Federici, which I highly recommend. So good. You know, it details the process of primitive accumulation in the witch hunts, so, like, it's a pretty deep, like, investigation into at least, like, European uh, history and, like, mm -hmm. the way that uh, religion was ripped away from them, as well as a little bit into uh, the colonized uh, parts of the Americas. Um, and you know, we, we have spiritual needs that we kind of need to meet, and that's, like, pretty materialist, actually, like, to consider, like, all of a human being's needs and their way to, like, meet them under capitalism and kind of survive um, and make yourself as whole as possible to mm -hmm. be able to fight and to be able to change society. And so <clears throat> I think even though we're probably never going to be able to tell what's really true and probably I can't really read fortunes and it's just some, like, weird brain tricks or whatever. I mean, I don't really care. I choose to believe it, and um, I think it's healthy for me. So that's why I think it's, like, compatible. Can I, if I can, like, add a bit to that note. Absolutely. Um, I think that's part of the failure of the uh, the new atheist movement and why it lost so much steam and is now being co-opted by men like Jordan Peterson who offer uh, a bizarre sort of mystical Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, because the new atheist movement, while it was... Yeah, absolutely instrumental in helping get atheism as an accepted belief in the public sphere in America. It didn't put anything else in its place of, of anything spiritual or meaningful, uh, whether philosophy or spirituality, mysticism, anything. Uh, it didn't really give a meaning for life. It kind of just left you with your remnants of whatever cultural remnants you had aside from your religious belief. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a good reason why so many of them, Hitchens, uh, uh, Dawkins, you know, even today, Dawkins is posting on Twitter about how much better Christian church bells are than hearing Allahu Akbar. Um, and, you know, they kind of just go back into this Western chauvinism. Mm -hmm. um, and then they're losing their fan base to men like Peterson, 
who are able to offer a positive meaning for life, a spiritual meaning, uh, framing you know yourself as the hero of a journey against the dragon of chaos. That being someone who likes church bells versus someone who likes <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> some something with some, yeah, but obviously I mean, having some glory sort of, to God or God's great. <laughs> yeah, right. But like obviously having some sort of you know meaning or spiritual thing or philosophical whatever you want, uh, some overarching meaning is something people crave and want. And mm-hmm. if you can't offer it, people will kind of get bored with you, get bored with your movement. Same would be like ritual, I think. It's like part of what drew me to the Orthodox Church was the emphasis on something that was pretty constant. Um, you know, the liturgy that they say is something that's been said since the 400s. And little has changed. And it's beautiful music that's, you know, slightly different in every church, but like the same words are said every time because it's a sung liturgy, right? Mm-hmm. Just sung, there's no instruments, but it's beautiful. And then there's all the different actual activity you do, such as like bowing or crossing yourself and all of that has symbolic meaning and all of that has intention. And you don't find, there's an emptiness, I think, in the evangelical and non-nominational type churches. You don't Mm -hmm. have that. You know, the most we would do growing up is we'd we'd be told to stand up when you're supposed to stand up, sit down when you're supposed to sit down. why don't we give this person a round of applause when we were told to clap? But everything else was just devoid. I Please think. clap. Please clap. Yeah. <laughs> devoid of meaning. Devoid of like spiritual ritual and yeah, yeah that mm-hmm. was definitely a thing in our church. On too. that note, I remember debating about like I think it was standing up, like for music, like oh yeah, you know, like church? is that something that we should do? Like is is that okay to stand up for music? Like we've always sat down. Like why would you stand up for for singing? It's too showy. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, that or uh, further on down the road when a uh, youth pastor wanted to bring his guitar in for youth mm-hmm. group and like the scandal that caused. This new age hippie type. Yeah. <laughs> you can't praise Jesus with a guitar. I mean, I think Orthodox would believe that. <laughs> you can also see so. kind of similar things, I think, in a lot of modern leftist movements where even people like anarchists or democratic socialists love the symbolism and music of the Soviet Union. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. non-Marxist-Leninists still draw on a ton of that. They love the hammer and sickle. Mm-hmm. They love the anthem. Mm-hmm. And they'll post memes and all the sorts of stuff of, of Stalin and Lenin and mm-hmm. the USSR, even if they actually denounce modern-day Marxist-Leninists. I used to belong to a small Trotskyist organization. Do not recommend... Um, and at every <laughs> event, <laughs> we used to sing the Internationale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody yeah. who was there that was a new member or wasn't a member, like a contact or something, thought it was the creepiest, cultiest, weird shit that ever happened, and I never stopped being creeped out by it. I think it's <laughs> so weird. Like, this is America in 2018. I'm sorry. I get, mm-hmm. like, that they are holding on to something, sort of. But part of the thing about the Internationale is it's, like, not really very spiritual and warm. It's actually kind of, like... It's kind of like wooden. Song. It feels a lot like yeah. the hymns we sang in church yeah. that we oh, sort yeah. of wooden. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. It's not like a. It's not a very well, come and well, There's all the union hymns, uh, which didn't last very long culturally because they weren't as great. Most of them didn't. Mm-hmm. No, the ones that did were like Pete Seeger songs and stuff. Mm-hmm. The ones that are more a little bit more poetic. Well, what's that? Mm-hmm. Phil Oaks. Phil Oaks. Yeah, Phil Oaks. <laughs> yeah, or like Jose Marti poems. You know, like people who are like have like kind of the spirit of the revolution i also mm-hmm. feel like that's yeah. why we kept so much from the civil rights movement yep because mm-hmm. like there was so much more soul in like that movement than like generally communists mm-hmm. you know yep 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 
Yeah. Well, okay, so that's, like, a really important... I feel like we did, like, a really good job on that kind of first question, um, and I think it was important background. But what I kind of want to talk about while we're all still here is I want to talk sort of about, um, like, how your background has helped or hindered the way that you organize, um, like, as leftists, um, and also, like, how it's been, like, working with religious groups on the left, because I know... Um, the only religious group I've worked with is Jew, uh, Jewish Voice for Peace, and that mm-hmm. hasn't been nearly the same, like, kind of hangouts for me because, I like, Jew, Jews are fine. Like, there's no, no, like... <laughs> Good. I'm glad we clarified that. <laughs> Jews are fine. Are we all okay? So Jews, Jews are, are fine. fine. <laughs> no, I just have, like, no triggers with have, it. That's... Whereas working with Christian groups, it can be a little triggering even if they're the nicest people in the whole world. <laughs> right? I'm way more open-minded to Jews and, like, Muslims and whatever. I don't have that problem. But I know that some of you have actually worked with like Catholic groups and other religious groups um and you know in general like just working on the left and having like kind of uncomfortable OB to the masses sort of discussions with people like how what has it been like for you um I don't think we've really had too many discussions with people thankfully that are of different religious groups like about whether or not they should be involved or not um we've definitely I think part part of us some of us have definitely gotten more involved because of the religious groups so like one of the groups is the Orange County Catholic Worker. We worked with, specifically the DSA worked with in Orange County to help people who are homeless. And that was part of their goal. And so they actually were like, you guys should come here and help us because it's building community. Mm-hmm. Like, it's organizing. And there was kind of incentive, I think, from them to get involved to, you know, we, we were encouraged to get involved because of them, which I thought was yeah. a very good thing. My one point to add to that, though, was that our point of contact there at the uh, Orange County Catholic Worker was literally the only member of Orange County DSA for, like, three years prior <laughs> to the chapter officially forming. This is totally which true. Which might have something to do with it. But, like, a lot of the so Catholic good. workers are, uh, like, anarcho-syndicalists or some form of leftist. Progressive, at least. Yeah, a lot of them are uh, very political, just from the nature of running, like, homeless shelters for women and, you know, handing out food to the homeless. You see a lot of just how awful the system can get for people who are on the up and up, or uh, on the upward path, you know, Mm -hmm. people who are down on their luck, people who are oppressed. And in general, just for as awful as a institution that the catholic church has been uh especially in europe uh a lot of catholics in the americas have been incredible workers in the left wing Mm -hmm. Um, liberation theology has been an incredible uh motivator in people in south america um or one of my personal leftist heroes is a man named daniel berrigan who was uh one of the fbi's most wanted men in america during the vietnam war (laughs) for breaking into uh military offices and burning draft notices amongst many, <laughs> many other protests. The man is incredible. Yeah, snaps um, for that guy. Oh, yeah, he was, he was absolutely wonderful. Or uh, the Catholic nuns who uh, used uh, bolt cutters to force their way into a uh, nuclear, uh, military nuclear uh, facility where they were ho- storing nuclear weapons to protest. Finding oh, uh, yeah. similar things done by Protestants in America and South America is almost impossible. Yeah, I yeah. think there's definitely something to, like, the religious uh, influence 
on liberation, especially in South and Central America. Mm-hmm. Like, it's been a way huger influence there. And I think they were also part of the sanctuary movement. There was a lot of mm-hmm. churches in the United States involved. Um, part of that, I think, is, like, the was. Protestantism in America is a much larger part of it. And part of that Protestantism has an idea of what work is, an idea of mm-hmm. what an individual is. And, like, if you're if you come from a community type of church like I would say Catholicism, Orthodoxy, and there's others as well that aren't connected to specifically to Protestantism, like you're going to have a different idea of community and it's not just about you and your own beliefs and your own picket fence life. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, it's a lot more about how things in the community themselves and your local, not just, oh, I'm going to send money to a missionary across the world, but like how am I affecting the lives around me, looking for the poor, looking for those who are needy. That's mm-hmm. much more important for people who come from a background of tradition and a background of community and a background of a church body being something that all, everyone's part of, not something you just attend when you like mm-hmm. that Protestant work ethic, that Protestant idea of Christianity as something I personally say, not just something you become part of. You take communion in, which is like communion, the mm-hmm. Eucharist. I think that adds a lot to like why there's more. Catholics making a, a point in, like, the social yeah. movement. Well, it was also a very demographic thing, where uh, Catholicism has been kind of the religion of the oppressed in many areas, for mm-hmm. Ireland, true. South and Central America, and even in America, where it was mm-hmm. an incredible controversy that uh, JFK was a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only fairly, very recently in our history that Catholicism has been kind of co-opted into a greater, like, pan-Western Christianity thing. And it's still, mm-hmm. like, WASP is a term that includes Protestant in it for a reason, mm-hmm. right? No, like, exactly, exactly. Yeah, even still. Yeah, and it's kind of, like, in the same way that, you know, the Irish were, whiteness was extended to the Irish, the Italians, mm-hmm. uh, the Eastern Europeans. It's, you know, kind of Christianity mm-hmm. uh, in America was extended to include Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just mm-hmm. to add, because you, you were asking about other religious groups we've worked with on the left, um, when we were preparing the counter-protest against, uh, what was it, the group of Proud Boy neo-Nazis who were going to go to the beach and... and yeah, it was a, uh, Laguna Beach. There's Johnny Benitez and a bunch of chuckle fucks. It's uh, <laughs> a great name. Yeah. yeah, a bunch of them. Um, like, when we were doing that, that was right after Charles, Charlottesville. And yeah. so we... Um, Hi, Kitty. We were able to talk with uh, a lot of churches who were organizing on the time. They actually did a training um, on the day of the counter-protests, and 400 people all in their, you know, religious garb and, you know, holding Bibles or holding crosses or some sort, icons, whatever they had, marched over, you know, and, and were in solidarity with everyone else who was counter-protesting. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we had something like that happen last summer yeah. with another, in Portland, with another uh, far-right protest. Yeah. On that note, though, uh, nothing against them personally, but uh, for the leftists that we were working with, I did notice, at least personally, that I was a lot more comfortable yeah. interfering or interfacing with them, the, uh, the religious group, than a lot of the other uh, leftists who grew up atheist, mm-hmm. grew up non-religious. I think the four of us are unusual, being from both like more right-wing backgrounds and religious backgrounds, as yeah. far as like Agreed. leftists go. I think it's changing. Because, like, a broader range of people are becoming leftists. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. for the most part, everyone I've met has either is, like, a kind of red diaper baby or, like, came from liberal backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was super interesting for me to find out, like, when I was first going to, starting to go to DSA meetings, just how few of 
us there were like how few of us <laughs> just to put it in this way converts yeah to the leftism say. there were you know like a lot of people were like oh yeah my parents were liberal or my parents were always leftist and yeah. i'm like oh that you know you're fortunate you know that, <laughs> you might you might disagree on some things but may, but you have a lot in common <laughs> you know you're not nervous about about what it's going to bring what is going <laughs> to be brought up <laughs> in your next family dinner yeah uh, not the same or as someone who's very active on like reddit communities uh the vast majority of, you know, Reddit really skews white and male. Um, You're but, always online. Yeah, but the vast majority of, of uh, people who become leftist uh, were either liberals or libertarians. Very, <laughs> yeah, few, very few from like, like religious fundamentalists, yeah. Republicans, neocons. Uh, it's a definite minority. Yeah. A lot of them were libertarians because they kind of rejected the system. Mm-hmm. But, you know... Had a really in, bad answer to why yeah, well, it was what the actual problems were, right? And when we're you know presented with the actual contradictions of their ideology and saw like a better option, mm-hmm. we're more for that. Yeah, Sam, you brought up earlier um, Ferguson, mm-hmm. and that's when I started seeing, seeing a shift online as well, but in my Facebook community um, between people uh, who were Christian, uh, either becoming more progressive or more like steadfast in their ways mm-hmm. um this was you know many years or at least a couple of years before um trump and the whole president uh presidency and um, presidential election but people arguing about whether black lives matter or what the cops said was right or wrong was really a, an indication of whether or not they were going to become more progressive and more leftist overall as christians whether or not they left christianity or not but whether or not they were going to become more leftist more more progressive than people who were like actually we need to see all sides all lives matter you know you kind of just see the shift there and i think that really sparked the movement of people looking at their faith and looking at how that was political yeah okay that's an awesome uh contribution becca um so another thing i wanted to talk about y'all was um on a broader ideological level you know leftists seem to be very resistant to religion um, or even spirituality in their ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true that becoming a leftist gives you a plus five against religion. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it does seem to be that way. Like, it, like it's weird that, that atheism has is still, in the modern American left, like, so ingrained in this almost old-fashioned way. When, I don't know, like, I've heard a lot of people quote Opiate of the Masses from Marx as if mm. that is, like, meant as condescendingly as it sounds, translated that way and then spoken out of context. But the whole yeah. quote... Uh, which I wrote down here, is religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of soulless conditions. It is the opiate of the masses. Like, to me, that is a lot more... Like, Marx was definitely concerned about religion's ability to, like, blind people to Mm -hmm. what was going on around them and to, like, hinder revolution, but he was not so clearly anti-religion as people make him out to be. Mm -hmm. And to me, that quote, like, shows that he's... um, he's like he's more sympathetic toward like religion's ability to like soothe people's wounds and like fulfill Mm -hmm. their spiritual needs um and to like just provide some soul and comfort in horrible conditions and i think you know if you look at like jewish folks are a great example right um and armenians are similar too like folks in diaspora who like hold so tightly to their religions Mm -hmm. as part of their identity and part of a part of their survival you definitely see it amongst black americans too like a like strong trend of being Mm -hmm. religious it seems to definitely like help survive and one of the things for me that <clears throat> that i took from being religious was um i mean i know there's a strong history of christian socialism which we kind of started to talk about but like i 
um, don't actually know much about that history. What really struck me was when I became a socialist, you know, several years after having given up Christianity, I started to see for the first time, like, like moments where I was like, actually, this thing that I learned when I was a Christian could be useful, which I think might have actually been something useful about growing up as a fundamentalist, because what it still did at the end of the day was expose me to the idea of being a small community that needed to stick together in order to try to change the world, and that mm-hmm. that had this like doctrine of agape love and all these concepts that we don't really have anywhere else yep. that yep. teach us how to be a community and how to take care of each other and how to like have disputes out and still continue to move forward together. Um, and I just, I see so much potential in those ideologies that even if I'm not religious in that way anymore, I think there's a defense to be made for a lot of concepts out of specifically Christianity and I'm positive other religions as well, right, that can be used for leftists. Does anybody else have like maybe a contribution on like that or like why they think it's it's so difficult with leftists to talk about this sort I mean, of thing? I, I could talk about this for hours. So, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is a very long first podcast. I just want you to know we're going to be here for another several. Uh, I mean, this is something I just have a lot of experience with talking with a lot of other leftists, especially online, some in person. Uh, a lot of it comes down to, I think, just a general personal bad experience with religion because mm-hmm. there's just no one who's grown up in America mm-hmm. for, just since World War II, we'll just talk about that for now just America that hasn't felt like religion it hasn't been raised mm-hmm. if not in it specifically surrounded by it it's everywhere mm-hmm. yeah. um, and especially with religion being in America like you know very dominated by evangelical Protestant beliefs yeah. um, stuff like being you know uh, anti-LGBT mm-hmm. anti-abortion and then being linked in kind of our civic with our civic religion kind of everything awful about America being justified and supported by religion makes a very powerful just knee-jerk response and nothing else you know everything mm-hmm. you hated uh, growing up was justified by religion like mm-hmm. respect your parents obey uh, the cops like listen to the government don't resist the system mm-hmm. it was all justified by the church in many ways um, yeah and it's very difficult to want to, you know, overcome that. Like how, like even things as simple as like Black Lives Matter. Like how many churches, like despite being for, you know, proclaiming lofty ideals, universal mm-hmm. love, uh, universal humanity, God loves every person. Um, <laughs> Sounds like the American Constitution. And wait, yeah. where did that get us? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and it's very easy just to look at all that and say, well, religion is n- not only like not helpful. It's the opposite of helpful it's pushing us backwards actively and it's i think for especially a lot of uh leftists who weren't raised in it it can kind of seem like a religious fellow leftist is kind of a ticking time bomb maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, like you don't know sure. when their pastor is going to tell them something new like or when yeah. the social change they'll just decide will be too much like maybe mm-hmm. they're okay with gay people but trans is too much or too maybe they're okay with you being trans but you saying you're like agender no they can't do that they need the binary or yeah. they're going to be put their foot down on like a polyamorous relationship or it's hard if you don't really know how the ideology works mm-hmm. to kind of predict where mm-hmm. where the line is going to be with someone if there's going to be a line mm-hmm. like can a religious person be a real comrade or yeah. I could see that being a question for people who mm-hmm. yeah but, and, and then, like, that the religious left like the real uh, the actual like far left not so much progressive or like liberal is just such a small, small fraction of that community. Especially that, in like, America. Especially in America that, yeah. that no one or a lot of people don't have any real experience with working with 
a leftist who's also religious. Yeah. And it seems like an oxymoron for a lot of people. I mean, I joined DSA and I, I worked on the org, like Bernie Sanders sort of site as a religious person. Like I, I, I'm orthodox, was orthodox during that time, especially. Um, and it was hard because I was definitely getting mixed messages from my community on whether or not being Republican or voting for Trump was the right thing to do because of abortion or because of Supreme Court decisions, like certain things like that. But at the same time, like it was because of my faith in what it meant to be human and like the value of a person. And I don't mean the all people are born, born sinful and evil more the all I because I don't subscribe to that at all which is a very common idea in evangelicalism the idea that people are just born evil and sinful and only God can take that away like I don't that's not a, a subscription like that's something I left when I left evangelicalism mm-hmm. orthodoxy that's not the case you know it's that all people are like able to work things out and able to work through their salvation mm-hmm. able to become great and be like the idea is to become basically like God mm-hmm. as um it's okay one of one of the saints from the early you know 300s 400s said like you know it is Christ came to earth so that men could become like God if you said in evangelical circles would be like oh, blasphemy but like that's the concept that orthodox have it's like people can you know work hard enough and grow spiritually enough to do that I think the issue comes into play when it's still very for a lot of Christians or I can't say religiously, but for a lot of Christians, it's very individualistic still, mm-hmm. right? So, like, it's still, you need to work on yourself. You need to find, fix yourself. Peterson does that. Like, Jordan Peterson, back to him. You need to clean your own room before you can talk at all in the political sphere, right? Like, so you need to fix your own self and fix your own things before you even bring up any issues you have with, like, your local community. If you can kind of get away from that idea and you can actually get involved in the local community and realize, like, the people suffering, your neighbors suffering, other people suffering around you, is something that you can support and contribute to fixing without thinking that, like, oh, it means that I care more about the world, quote-unquote, than God. Like, then you can get involved and you're like, oh, this is called loving my neighbor. This mm-hmm. is called taking care of people and loving God through loving my neighbor. Mm-hmm. I think it's more the religious right, the religious extreme that make it about just whatever they, they think is best versus, like, actually allowing people to, to come together in their local community and help things from a neighbor, larger organization, rather than an individualistic perspective. I do think that's one of the reasons that so many leftists are, are skeptical of, of organized religion, though. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's very opposed, in many ways, to, like, a materialistic analysis. That's totally of, true. Of that's human totally behavior. True. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, kind of as you were getting at, like, right-wing extremists can interpret scripture even like a hard uh, like written down scripture like it's immutable text can still be twisted and interpreted in a myriad of ways yep. to mean almost anything it makes the people very skeptical of like religion as a basis for any sort of sound thought for looking at the universe or interacting with each other yeah um, mm-hmm. uh, you know or like one reason like leftists are often skeptical is like uh, there's a push uh it's not well known there's the american solidarity party it's a kind of largely Catholic political party in the U.S. that is uh, kind of the opposite. You know, the libertarians, they always want to say that they're uh, fiscally conservative but socially progressive. Well, they're the opposite. Oh. <laughs> they're socially conservative but fiscally progressive. 
it's a Catholic, <laughs> like very religious Catholic way of like, hey, there's all these awful things in capitalism. And so we advocate like full on socialism to preserve the patriarchal, you one know, man, one woman, one marriage, man, one woman, and there, values, and, you know, yep. no gays, no trans, no et cetera. Uh, but Jesus. we're all on board with that socialism <laughs> thing, right? Yep. So, you know, it, it gets, it, it seems so often that religion is just a cover or an excuse to sneak in reactionary social policies. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, that it makes a lot of people, you know, nervous or afraid that, like, are you really a comrade or are you someone who's, you know, waiting till they hit 40 to go full reactionary with your religion yeah, yeah. as a cover for it? I think that one thing that's, that's important, too, is, like, the thing that, the thing that's kind of, that I think is kind of missing from our organizing right now is the idea of the commons. This is something that Sylvia Federici talks a lot about, mm -hmm. which is, like, essentially that, like, we don't have much in a, such a super isolated, alienated place of, of sense of community, which is kind of necessary to be able to trust each other, to be yeah. able to move together um, and take action together. I mean, you see, like, the infighting on the left and the... Um, you know, the, the yeah. toxic identity politicking, and, and there's just so much going on even in our own circles mm -hmm. where we tear each other apart. We're not doing what you're describing, which is coming in broken but, like, loving your neighbor, right? And these are concepts that early Christianity, I think, came up with because it was a liberatory ideology at its time. And we have to take that in its context because it's not, not applicable piece for piece to modern-day America anymore even than frankly, you know, the way that Lenin organized the Bolsheviks is applicable piece for piece to 2018 America. But it, it was a liberatory ideology at its time, and there's stuff we can learn from that. And I think yeah. that's this idea of community that you're talking about. Well, I mean, for better or for worse, we were all taught at a young age you had to forgive, right? So, like, if you had a problem with someone, if you had an issue, if you guys fought, you had to work it out and forgive each other. Mm -hmm. And, like, that was core. And... I see a lot of times more on the left that it's easy to just say, this person did a bad thing, this person thinks a bad thing, they're gone. Mm -hmm. Like, kick them out, or that's it, or they're not part of the movement, they're not a leftist anymore, they're not an ex anymore, whatever it is. They're anarchist, socialist, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is something missing. Like, transformative justice, I think, is very much missing, but is, is something that is part of a religious, spiritual experience that you're trying to transform yourself a lot of times in order to help others, mm -hmm. like, that's the point, right? It's to, it's to transform the self into a better version of the self to help the community and the people around you. Mm -hmm. But you're also encouraged in that situation to work out problems with your neighbor. And, you know, to, to the detriment, I think, a lot of times of Christians, it's, it's oftentimes we yell at them, rightly so, because of a hypocrisy. Like, mm -hmm. hey, it says you should be self-sacrificing and loving. But you're not. You know, right. you own this really expensive house. You don't really care about the poor around you. You don't care about the community. But if you actually did, and you were religious, like, you'd be following through with those ideas. Right. And you'd be able to forgive and work through situations and build community in the way that we want to do on the left anyway. Yeah, and if you don't take the Bible literally, then it doesn't have to come with all of the baggage that Doug was talking about. Mm -hmm. That Which, does help. You know, I mean, I think that it will take, like, a lot of work on the part of Christians or even people who are ex-Christians like us and, like, are trying to, like, bring some of the good ideas back into our organizing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's going to take a lot of work just to, like, be patient and be like, I understand, like, you know, I, like, I'm queer and a person of color and a woman and, like, there's a lot of reasons why most of Christianity hates me and mm -hmm. it's, I, like, I get it. I get why it can be kind of traumatizing. 
but I think that we would actually do really well to learn the good pieces out of it and be able to kind of move past the sort of scary stuff not take the Bible or any really religious text literally because that's dumb. The same way, you, honestly, frankly, if you're taking Marx, like, for every word he says as gospel truth, you're wrong also, you know? <laughs> like, literal, very Protestant. <laughs> it is, <laughs> and know? it's problematic. We, we come from that here, so. Yep. It's not super divorced from it. And that's, I, I think, one of the struggles when dealing with religion is if they claim they take the book literally, mm-hmm. often still very selective what it literally means is up to their interpretation. I am your blood. This is my blood. This is my, yeah, this is my blood. My blood. Uh, it's a fun one. Well, uh, my favorite is the people who take that one literally. Yeah. No, I, I love, the, I love the, uh, the Protestant disconnect where they say Genesis 1 must be literal or else the rest of the Bible is false. But then also, Jesus was obviously metaphorical when he said, this is my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're both at the same time. It's wonderful. And, it's you know, mushrooms, oh, that's the Old Testament. We're allowed to eat mushrooms now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, uh, yeah, all that fun stuff. Crustaceans, you know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, Gold uh, and braids. Yeah, well, that's the New Testament. <laughs> that is the New Testament, but different yeah. time, you know. Different, yeah, I do not want to speak. I mean, some of, some uh, of yeah, people so, do that. People who take the Bible literally, but often ignore that stuff. And then you get people who say, no, 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 it's more metaphorical and have an even greater degree of freedom mm-hmm. to make it mean whatever they want. And it isn't to say that they don't often mean wonderful things. Like, uh, so much of Jesus' teachings were just incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't see how anyone could be an avowed Christian, follow the teaching of Jesus, and say anything disparaging about the poor and homeless. It makes no sense. No. Like, yeah. it's just uh, double think, right? It's more point. likely for... A camel to pass through an eye of a needle, <laughs> but a rich man to enter heaven. Gee, that sounds almost like socialist, right? right. Like, <laughs> well, see, there's a myth a that goes through a lot of uh, <laughs> conservative churches. Like, my church taught this myth that it was a metaphor at the time that the camel going through an eye of a needle meant a camel going through a relatively small gate in a wall where the camel had to crawl on its knees. That's right. That's yeah. what I learned, too. And what? it was a metaphor. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so great instead way to of saying it's impossible, Jesus was just saying We didn't have any rich people in our church. <laughs> yeah. Well, well secret ones. <laughs> but I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard that. I've never heard that before. Yeah, like, I actually Bible heard world, that preached, that. like, I heard that preached in our church growing up, like, yeah, rich people suck. Like, yeah. yeah, and oh, it's completely see, false. Nicer. That, that myth is completely false, but a lot of Protestants believe it. Wow. Because it makes it, instead of Jesus saying, no rich person can go to heaven, saying, it's just really hard. This is really hard. That's all. It's really hard. <laughs> Humble rich people can go yeah. to heaven. Oh, Those who are on God. their knees in front of God, obviously, yeah. can go to heaven. Like, uh-huh. oh, I bet you, I it. bet you, Billy uh, Graham came up with that. I it bet you he came up with it. He didn't come up with it. He promoted it. Oh yeah. man. Um, it was a fun thing for me because uh, I was taught that uh, it's very difficult for a rich person to go to heaven, and I was also learned that. Americans are richer than, you know, 90% of the world. Okay. Just by being middle-class America, you're richer than, like, 98% of people on Earth. And that gave me an existential crisis of, am I going to heaven? <laughs> wow, it turns well, out I'm rich. The logic is fine. No. When, you, when, you get that, when you get to the point where, like, you start putting logic pieces together, and then they make fun answers to your questions about, like, for instance, that, or giving you more guilt... Like that's the end of, end result. You get more guilt because you see how logic works. Everything mm-hmm. costs more guilt. Yeah. <laughs> Everything costs more guilt. One was... time, I asked a pastor how we knew the Bible was true if it was, we only believed that it was God's word because it said it was God's word. And I had like figured out this like perfect like logic error uh-huh. at, at like fifteen, and I asked in totally good faith, just like assuming there was an answer. And 
The guy got he got all beat red and mad and told me that I was being tempted by Satan to doubt and that I needed to go check myself. That's a nice out. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't give me an answer. Of yeah. course not. Planted a seed. Of course not. I mean, I had an answer for that one. It's the personal witness of the Holy Spirit. In your heart. Confirmed it was in true. In your heart. <laughs> Down in your and heart. And if you weren't feeling the personal witness of the Holy Spirit confirming it was true, Maybe you probably because you're too sinful. Oh. <laughs> more guilt. You should pray more. Read your Bible some more. Yep. Well, you know what y'all should also do? What should we also do? Besides check the sin down deep in your heart is um, plug anything that you want to plug. This is me doing transitions. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Uh, no, no, that was one thing they were definitely against was plugging, plugging. whatever you wanted to plug. <laughs> <laughs> strict, strict rule. Strict rule. Uh-huh. Well, on that, on that note, does anybody have anything to plug? Ooh. I do. I have like a list of things. Oh, okay. Do I do it. Too. You do that while we think. <laughs> okay, you got y'all think. Okay, so this has been a very religious slash leftism discussion, and I um, have a, a few religious slash leftism podcasts to recommend, um, and books I think that are interesting to people who want to see this from a different perspective, not the conservative Christian evangelical right wing fundamentalist perspective. So, um, first off. Season the Bitch, if you're not subscribed to them, they're awesome. And they have a few episodes on religion and the left. Um, so I'd definitely check those out. But I would definitely look up the Magnificast. Um, they're definitely a leftist and political podcast that's exploring that in relation to Christianity. Um, you know, they're definitely looking at it from Christian tradition and tradition of leftist politics and yet going beyond what's considered usual conservative liberal divide that characterizes so much of the Christian and political discourse. I I highly recommend checking them out. All they talk about is leftism and Christianity in terms of tradition and where we are now. So check them out. And then I just wanted to point out too, I have like two books from those people that I said kind of convinced me early on that evangelicalism was wrong. Um, It's by two saints from the early couple hundreds and you might not agree with everything they say which is totally fine but I want to at least let you know that they exist because I was super surprised when I originally found them. Um, One is called uh, On Wealth and Poverty by St. John Chrysostom and in it he talks about you know like sermons that Jesus gave about rich people and how they're <laughs> and shit. <fuck> them. <laughs> yeah, like he talks about um, St. Lazarus and the rich man. He talks about, actually he goes into several sermons on Lazarus and the rich man. This is like literally all it's about. And it's really good at talking about how to understand wealth and poverty. And and I, I'm not sure if it's him or another person, but basically it's a, the idea that like if you own more than one coat and yet you see someone else has none, you are stealing from them. Like, you 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 have like more than it. they do and like it just goes back to this idea of the poor and this idea of classism and i mean to me this is kind of how i got into leftism anyway because i saw people that were saying you know hard-hitting truths about what it meant to be poor and what it meant to be wealthy um the other one is called on social justice by saint basil the great um which i think is a great name <laughs> the, the first part in this is called to the rich and then there's another one called Against Those Who Lend at Interest. And it's all about, again, like the, the on wealth and poverty, wealth and poverty, and how to understand that from like a philosophical and Christian religious point of view. And like 
these are written in like the 300s and the 400s. You know, these mm-hmm. are taking the texts that were considered Bible at the time, talking about them and helping people. Like John Chrysostom, as uh, just by himself, is known for giving extremely harsh sermons to people, and they would they're known to like boo him or hiss him, and he would like point at them in the audience of his. You, rich person, you suck. You particularly. (laughs) He would be like, you hiss at me or like you yell at me, but like, you know that I'm telling you the truth. That like, if you have more clothes or more things set away, like, how dare you? And like, this is, this is, these are very esteemed people in the Orthodox and Catholic churches that are giving an explanation for why wealth and poverty exists and also what you need to do about it if you're God-fearing and and like if you actually want to live the christ-like life and you actually care about the things that supposedly christ has said and and you yet don't care about the poor and the people that have less than you then what the fuck mm-hmm. like you don't actually represent them you don't actually care right like a quote from saint basil the great what the fuck what the fuck <laughs> I mean, that's, that's I not so. what it says in Greek, but it's, it's a little bit like that. A little bit. Sounds like it was pretty harsh anyway. Yeah. So those are my things to plug. I, I think they're very interesting reads. I'll give you the link so you can Sweet. share them. I will. Make everyone look at them. Look at them. They're really good, y'all. Does anybody else have anything to plug? Okay. Not particularly. So if you like these people, then it's too bad because they don't good. have anywhere for you to follow them or find them again. Oh, good. And, um, I would want someone to find me. Someone you can <laughs> find me. I would no shame. So you can find me on uh, Twitter at Comic Wisdom. That's also, again, where you can DM me if you have, you know, if you want to yell at me or, you know, call me an SJW or cultural Marxist. What you do? I really want you to call me a dirty pink Okami because even if you're trying to insult me, I'll be like, oh, you said the name of the show. That would be great. <laughs> Um, Why did you do that right now? One second. I also recommend checking out the website if you are kind of excited about the fact that I'm a Marxist and pagan, which probably you aren't. But just in case you're like, oh, I can do that, you can check out the website Gods and Radicals, which is kind of cool. Some, you know, a lot of different writers and stuff on there, but it's basically pagans who are also leftists. It's godsandradicals.org. Um, and otherwise, I mean, you know, you can check out all of the shows on the Unpops Network, which are all great. Highly recommend. Uh, you can follow all of them by going to patreon.com slash unpops. And again, eventually I will have my own Patreon if you like me and want to follow me. And thanks for listening, everybody. Everybody say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.